This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Yeah, lost you there. Yeah, it's okay. I lost video. I don't have video right now. You froze, and I really wanted to take a screenshot, but I decided against it. <laughs> Did give me a chance to go scare some yuppie from next door who was talking outside of our door. <laughs> talking loudly on the phone. <laughs> Get to go Tony, you, you like, need dude, a sign or something. We have like, a sign. We have a sign. Well, that sign is not aggressive enough. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Face. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> so formal. Pleasantries. Mm. What's up? How you doing? Doing good. Feeling refreshed. Yeah. Good weekend? Uh, yeah. Did you yeah. guys beat the Dodgers? How did you end up with that series? I took one of three. Uh, we took some. Good. It went swept or, well, not, not swept. Um, shut out. Shut out. Nine yeah. to zero mm-hmm. Friday night, and then we were shut out seventeen to zero. Mm-hmm. It's a goddamn football score. <laughs> and then it was a respectable-ish four to two. Sure. Yesterday, yeah, it went okay. Yeah, yeah, it could have been way worse. What are y'all two games back? We're we're three now. Mm-hmm. Went in two, made it up to one game back, and then dropped two and went back to three. What's the rest of your schedule look like? Easy, um, medium. It's. Three at the Diamondbacks, three at the Padres, three in L.A. at the Dodgers, and then four, the last four at home against the Padres again. Mm. So not bad. Diamondbacks should be an easy beat. Yeah. Padres, uh, I don't know. Either way. Yeah. Historically, we do pretty well against the Padres. Mm -hmm. Within our division, it's the Rockies for some reason that give us a hell of a lot of trouble. Yeah, I don't know why. (laughs) Weird. The explanation I've heard is that our, our pitchers have really great breaking balls. Mm-hmm. Like Most of their specialty pitches are breaking balls. Yeah. And in the dry air of Colorado, breaking balls don't break. Mm. So they end up just being hung over the plate, and they make you pay for it. Yeah, but, I mean, they come to San Francisco. True, and <laughs> we typically do better oh, here okay. in San Francisco, okay. but not at Coors Field. Yeah. How about your weekend? What's up? It's good. Long. My dad was in town. So just hung out and drink beers and dad stuff dad stuff cool it's good we went to this theater over in uh, chestnut hill here it's a showcase cinema the super lux it's crazy man it's like 28 bucks a ticket but huge comfortable like armchair seats that like reclined and the legs came up and they served beer and food and stuff it was like phenomenal the movie sucked November man, not great. I don't remember like probably ten consecutive minutes from it, but you know, we just had like a bottle of wine sitting between us at the movie theater, which was a cool experience. Yeah, like, I was gonna get. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was like a little button. It was like a button you push, and they come over. It's cool. It's like an upscale version of the Alamo Draft House, which I've been to a lot. The nice thing about the Alamo Draft House that these guys don't do is that. The Alamo Draft House, they're still strict about the no talking thing, even though they serve you at your seat. So, like, you don't notice the servers at the Alamo Draft House unless they want you to notice them. Like, they have these white slips of paper, and you, like, write down what you want on it. 
and then you put it up. There's like a little thing that where you can like put, you know, it acts like a bit, basically like a flag. So you put this little piece of paper up. A couple seconds later, like a dude will run by, and you won't even notice him, but he'll like pull it down, like check it with this little light that's in front of every seat, and like gives you a quick thumbs up, and then like scampers off, and it's like. That's it. That's the last time. And then all of a sudden there's beer in front of you. And it's like, well, this is fantastic. I, I imagine this guy looks like a bald dude at a tennis match. Oh, almost. De- almost and then like his yeah. his night job is basically just running hunched over in a yeah. theater doing yeah. the same thing. But so it's, it's you know, the seats aren't quite as comfortable. The food's probably better, honestly, at Alamo Drafthouse. I think Alamo Drafthouse is still better. But those seats were comfortable as hell, man. I was like, how much is rent here? Can I just... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm really looking good. forward to the Alamo Draft House opening here. Oh man, I'm so jealous. For you San Franciscans that don't know, so jealous. They are opening an Alamo Draft House in the Mission at what used to be, I think it was called the New Mission Theater, just the Mission Theater. I don't know. It's going to be an Alamo Draft House now, so that's incredibly exciting. Yeah, because you, you you were talking this up when we were in Ottawa, and I was definitely on board. Yeah, it's great. Like, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else is. I mean, it's just such a Alamo Draft House is such a great experience. Like, you go to an Alamo Draft House, and you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is the way movies should be. Like, it just makes so much more sense. I don't know. I like it a lot. Anyway, what else is new? Well, you're off my project. I am. I was reading about Haskell all day. Watched uh, Chris Eidhoff. I think that's how you say that. Pretty close. I watched his. Talk about using functional programming Swift, which is really good. A little fast, but I think it was just supposed to be a uh, like a teaser kind of thing for like their book that they're putting out, and to kind of get you interested and show you kind of some of the crazy stuff that you can do. It's interesting, you know. All these like he ends it kind of with JSON parsing and all of the all of the different JSON parsing things. No matter how they come at the problem, it always ends up looking the same, which I think is good. Like it always ends up looking a lot like what Tony was doing and looking like Haskell's stuff from their ASON library. And I think that's a very good thing. Like I'm, I'm, I like that style of JSON parsing a lot. Why is it called ASON? Uh, I think ASON's a Greek or Roman God or something like that. And you can look this up, but they, there's, oh. a, there's a theme with a lot of their libraries ASON came out of this other program, this software called Yesod. And Yesod is another god, I think. I love when things are named after yeah, Greek so mythology. There's, so there's like a theme. Yeah, Y-E-S-O-D. Oh, it's a Hebrew. It's Hebrew. Mm-hmm. An emanation of the Kabbalistic tree of life. That oh. is wild. Mm-hmm. And so then ASON has something to do with that too. A E S O N. ASON is a Greek. It is the he's it, a it's not a it's not a it's a Titan, I think. Or it's a demigod. Son of Cretheus and Tyro. Whatever. But so there's they do they do this a lot. There's a bunch of different libraries kind of all around the same thing that got all extracted from the same place that are I don't know the history behind it. Pat would know, Joe would know, but they all are kind of named similarly like along one vein, which is fun. Yeah, I'm happy with the way all that's looking. And I'm less concerned at this point. So at the beginning of kind of Swift, I was very concerned about like, this is great and all, but I want this built into the standard library. 
I think I'm, I I would still like that to a certain extent, but I think I'm a little less concerned with that at this point. As long as Cocoa Pods kind of figures the dependency management stuff out, like I'm kind of okay just bringing in a root set of like concepts just with every project just to be like, here's one library that's just going to make my life a little easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like the time before NSJSON serialization. Right, right. You, I mean, you know, it's like they brought in NSJSON serialization. And it's like, oh, cool. Okay, now I don't have to have all these different things. But I do also think that the functional community is tight enough and aware enough that we're not going to end up. So I don't think. So the problem before NSJSON serialization was that there were a million freaking JSON libraries. There was what touch JSON. JSON kit. JSON uh, kit. And there was like another one that was fairly popular. And then those would get brought in as dependencies for other programs. So there's a number of times I remember it like early on pre CocoaPod stuff when you'd end up on pre JSON serialization stuff where you'd end up with literally three different JSON parsing libraries in your project in one way or another because you had to bring in like I have this dependency and it's using this JSON parsing thing and I'm using this other dependency and it's using this JSON. Like Every SDK would use a different JSON parsing library. So you bring in Facebook's SDK and Twitter's SDK and Dropbox's SDK, and now all of a sudden you have three different JSON parsing libraries in your code. It's like, thanks, that's really going to screw up my bundle size. You know what I mean? But I do think, I think that for whatever reason, whether it's just a better open source awareness at this point in in the community's life span whatever you know what i mean like we just generally are more aware of open source stuff right now plus the coco pods thing or because of venice json serialization people don't want to go through that same thing again like long story short i don't think we're going to end up with multiple libraries solving the same problem i think that it's going to be swift z is what i think it's going to be i think swift z is already it's a, it's the biggest one that i know of it has the most stuff in it which is good or bad depending on how you want to look at it but it's kind of the most complete functional package out there. And so I do think I don't think that we're going to run into that pre NSJSON serialization thing. I think that it's going to be like use Swift Z, don't worry about it. You know. For whatever reason, I'm less anxious about it not being in the standard library. I would like JSON parsing to be pulled out of foundation and to be part of Swift itself. You know what I mean? just the parsing side of it or for someone to write a pure swift json parser like actually coming from data to a json object not going through dictionaries although again the functional stuff kind of makes it not as important anyway that's what i've been doing today just kind of reading reading an upcoming blog post about haskell's maybe has me thinking about optional a lot that was good what specifically? Just why to use it, how it can help, how you can use it in a functional style so that it's not just as simple as this concept of, like, the biggest thing about maybe and, and optional as well is that it really isn't just about codifying this idea of this thing might be there or might not be there. It's really nice because it lets you – trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like an idiot. It's probably going to happen. It lets you a lot of times work with data as if it is there, even if it isn't. 
Does that make sense? So you can, if you use it a specific way, if you use map, for example, on uh, an optional or maybe, what map will do is it will perform the action if there is data. And if there isn't data, it won't do anything. That's pretty great. You know what I mean? So you don't have to worry about, you get your type safety and you can do all your kind of mutations or calculations or whatever acting as if you have this thing, right? And then at the end, try to pull the value out. And then at the end, you're left with something or nothing. Does that make any sense? So you would get another maybe? At the end, yeah. So you could have a function function that takes a maybe and returns a maybe, and you could do all your operations on it as if it's there. And if it isn't there, it's just it just ends up being a no op. A lot like nil works in Objective-C. But with greater type safety because if you specify that it can't take a maybe then it won't be able to take a maybe or an optional rather it's the exact same concept in mm-hmm. haskell and so i keep flipping back and forth between terminology but the, the added benefit of the type system being able to say no this takes an object you know what i mean think about every single place in our code where we have a we pass a block as an argument and now we have to check to see if that block exists before executing it every single time. The compiler won't complain if we don't do that check. But we know from experience that if you don't do that check, there's a chance that at some point you or someone else is going to pass nil in as that block for some reason, even if it makes no sense to you now. Someone's going to do that. And the second that happens, you're going to get a runtime error and you're going to get a crash. And you're going to get a crash that's really hard to figure out because that stack trace is not pretty when it's crashing because of a block. Contrast that with the type system just saying, no, you have to pass a block here. Or saying, it's cool, you can pass a block here, you don't have to. Right? So we're, we're letting our type system say, like, this method is intended to take a block, and it should always take a block. And then inside that method definition, you know for a fact that you have a block. Because there's literally no way to get around that. There's no way to pass nil to that thing that says it's a block. Anyway, I don't want to. I didn't mean to. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited about the functional stuff. I really am. I mean, I've been saying that for months now, but kind of looking forward to having a little bit of time. I don't have a project right now, so I'm going to spend some time really digging into it, digging into Swift, digging, into, digging back into the functional stuff. Going over some chapters of Learn You Haskell again, reading some of the chapters of the Objective-C.io book, which I haven't gotten into at all. I just haven't had time to read it. Those guys are going to have to change their name or something, huh? Yeah, probably. <laughs> that sucks. It's a good name. Related, I'm so glad that we didn't call this podcast Subjective-C as we were originally <laughs> intending to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another, another instance of us looking like, you know, very, very smart <laughs> Yep. In hindsight, it's like when, when Marco Arment named their podcast Build and Analyze, and then like two weeks later, Build and Analyze was removed from the from the menu. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, I don't know. So what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about some accessibility? Yeah. You have some things to say, I guess? I don't know. I don't know if I have things to say. I, just I have questions more than anything. Sure. Because I've never really done it. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested in it. I think it's fascinating. Um, I think it's a really interesting way to look at, like, do you have the triple tap home button thing set up on your phone? 
No, not at the moment. You should do that, man. Set set it up. It takes like two seconds. Just set it up. So if you don't know, you can set up uh, inside the accessibility settings on your iPhone. You can set up a thing for if you triple tap the home button, it will turn on voiceover. And so if you do that, it gives you this really kind of nice way to whether you're testing your own app or you just want to like look into someone else's app. Maybe someone else has a visual element that's similar to yours and then you want to see how they handle the accessibility for that. It makes it a really easy way to go into that app, triple tap the home button, and then kind of like flip around in the app and see what see what it feels like. It's a fascinating way to look at applications, yours and other people's. The accessibility stuff is just so smart. So, so smart. It's probably one of my, I think it's probably one of the best designed parts of the iOS software in general, honestly. Like, it surprises me so often with its intuitiveness and the level of quality you get just without doing anything. So like this project was a good example, you know, on, on this project that we were, we were on, we were talking about like, Oh, what can we do before we release? It's like, Oh, well we can take a look at accessibility. So I loaded the build up on my phone. I triple tap the home button. I start flipping around. I was like, everything's basically done. You know, there were a couple things that I wanted to tweak the way it worked, but for the most part, everything was done. That was super nice. Like it only took me about five minutes to kind of go through and clean up the couple places where we had like a custom button. So like one of the things, if you have a button and you just assign an image to it and it doesn't have a label, well then it doesn't know what to read. So it reads the name of the image and then tells you it's a button. It's like, that's not super useful. Another place was like, we had a timestamp label and we were using a shorthand version of the time. So it says like 6M, you know what I mean? For six minutes. I was able to change that to the long form version. So I just changed that inside that we have a, like a timestamp label subclass that handles all that stuff. And so inside that subclass, I changed it to print out the, to have set itself as the long form version of that timestamp for the accessibility label. So the label says printed six M, but when you, when the voiceover reads it, it says six minutes ago. Because 6M just doesn't mean anything. In, you know, when you're looking at it inside the context of this post, it's fine, right? You get, you get what the 6M means. But when it's just reading, because the way the accessibility stuff works for UI table view cells is it just kind of like, it basically starts at the top left. And it pulls every label inside the cell. And it just reads them in order. So it literally just goes like, basically top to bottom reading out all the labels and for the most part that works pretty well it would read like the user's name and then it would say like 6m and then read the post title and then read the post body so that's pretty nice you know so you just change it so it says name six minutes ago post title post body you know you end up with really nice i want to say user interface but that's not it is yeah yeah it's ui yeah it's not visual. Yeah. There's somewhere else I have to change. Oh, yeah, and then those custom buttons. So those custom buttons, I just had to change them to actionable things. So it's like a like button. Instead of it saying, like, you know, post like icon button, I wanted it to say like post button, you know. So it reads off the label, and then if you give it accessibility attributes, I think they're called, then it'll read those off as well. So you can assign it things like user interactable, um, 
content changes frequently or if it's like a button or if it's a link, I think you can do that too. How does it work if you have some <clears throat> critical functionality that's hidden behind a gesture? Take Tweetbot, for example, where you have to mm -hmm. swipe to go to the detail view because if you tap, you just you could just get that that bar mm -hmm. beneath the cell. How do you hook something like that up? Fantastic question. I don't know. Let's see what they do. You can turn – you can't – well, I don't have Tweetbot on here. And I don't know of another app that you have to do that. Can you think of another app? Uh, yeah. Go into Mail and do it with the tap and hold on the Compose button to bring up the Drafts folder. See what they do. As far as I know, that's the only way to get to your – well, no. I guess you could just go to your Drafts through the mailbox. But that is there. So if I click on that. Compose button. Double tap and hold to bring up drafts. There you go. Two. Text field. Cancel. Button. So they have an accessibility Compose. hint button. set. Double tap and hold to bring up drafts. So then if I just double tap it, then it brings up the compose window. If I double tap and hold. Drafts. Then it, then it brings up my drafts list. Mm. Okay. So that's being done with an accessibility hint. So they're setting an accessibility hint on there. They may also be setting a different gesture for the accessibility thing. I think that, oh, no, 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 because a double tap, I wonder if that, I, so I'm not entirely sure about that gesture because I know that instead of a single tap, you have to double tap in voiceover mode to interact with the thing. So I'm assuming that a tap and hold translates directly to a single tap, double tap, and hold. When voiceover's on. When voiceover's on. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, this is this is just kind of one of those things where stuff just – it's one of those places of the, of the SDK where stuff just kind of works a lot of time. And so I'm not – I wouldn't be entirely surprised if you didn't have to change that gesture. But I also know that you can – there are ways that you can like set up conditionals and set and check to see if voiceover is on or not and do different stuff based on that. So like a good example is we had in one of my projects, we had a rotating carousel and I don't know, I, it may, maybe because of the way the carousel was implemented or whatever. One of the things about voiceover is if the screen significantly changes, you get a little audio notification that the screen changed, right? This little tinkle sound. And then the kind of voiceover cursor jumps up to the top again so that you can scroll back through the thing, right? So what was happening was every time this carousel changed to a different thing, then it noticed a, a significant screen change and it jumped you back up. So the screen was completely unusable if you were in voiceover, right? Because you couldn't navigate through anything. Worse, it was using a timer and there was a bug and the timer was leaking. So after you got to that screen, this timer kept going off and it kept pivoting that, that thing. So even after you left that screen, every second and a half or something like that, it would reset the voiceover thing because it would, you know, there's just this memory leak. It was weird. It exposed a, exposed a retain cycle. <laughs> for me but but because this time this time was holding on to the carousel and so the carousel was there just like kind of in the background off screen and it was flipping around and the system was realizing that and refreshing or whatever in that case like we were able to do stuff where i just didn't start the timer i mean i fixed the bug the leak and then i just checked to see if a voiceover was on if voiceover was on i didn't start that timer 
if voiceover was off, then I started the timer. That's fine. But what I also did was if voiceover was on, I added different gestures. I, I changed it so that it was a like a scrollable thing. I can't remember what the attribute name is, but there's a there's an attribute like page controls have it automatically so that you can swipe up and swipe down with, I think, two fingers to navigate between pages. And I was able to implement that on that view object, those methods that are required by accessibility so that so that I can move the carousel back and forth by swiping up and down on the carousel if they wanted to. So I just changed that functionality from being an automated carousel with a single swipe to force it back and forth to it just stayed there and you could swipe up and down, but it announced it on page load or on the on the screen when the screen appeared. What when it first reads off that carousel, does it list like how many pages there are in it? How do you know that you can go to more content? It, it tells you um like let me oh shit, how do I get back to something that has that? Let me see. While you're looking for that, I would point out since I had this question and looked it up, the way you check to see if voice over is running is um, it's just a C function yeah. called UI accessibility is voiceover running. And there is also an appropriate notification called the UI accessibility voiceover status changed. Yes. So if that were to change while you're running, you right. can respond with that. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I don't have my computer open. So it tells you though, I don't remember what it exactly it says and I'm not sure I don't have an easy way to get to something right now that can do this. I don't know if it tells you how many items there are, but it tells you that you can interact with it in that way when you highlight it. What about like the um, the news carousel in MLB at bat? I don't know. I don't even know if the, I think that's mostly web view. Let's see. Voiceover on at bat TV button. See, that's horrible. That's bad, right? Change team button. That's good. Game day audio button. I guess that TV one isn't that bad, but. Indians versus Astros, 8.10 p.m. ET. Probable pitchers, McAllister, 3 and 6 record with 5.97. E.R.A. Miku, 9 and 9 <laughs> record with 2.79. E.R.A. They don't know how to read Colin McHugh's name, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, 2.79. Yeah. No, I'm actually impressed, though. That's... Me too. Probable pitchers, and like they're doing some stuff there. Let's listen. So this is the this is the carousel. Cutial flirts with history. Paul's Angels win streak. Presents a news article. Uh yeah. They, they don't have that set up. They don't have that set up so that you can do that. So I'm not sure. It's kind of cool too because you can kind of get a better idea of like how the view is constructed if you do this. You know what I mean? Like I said, like I kind of there was part of me that was kind of like this could be all web. You know what I mean? It kind of can be janky enough at times this app specifically can be janky enough at times that i'm like eh, it wouldn't be surprising if it was all web but the other thing is too though that like like i know this stats thing oh i don't actually know that i'm trying to think of something that i know in here is web I, that stats thing is because I, i've seen the format of it change just like over the span of an hour without an app update It's not. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the standings. You're oh, the standings. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a web view. Yeah, so. Table start. <laughs> Is that an HTML table that it's reading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
how is Houston? <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely. I bet the news win is too. News. Tag. Three of five. Cutel flirts with history. Angels win streak. Peacocks. This is native too. Button. Two of two. Voice over off. Anyway. <laughs> that was cool. See what I mean though? Like that's kind of an interesting way to like. There are a number of those that it wouldn't have surprised me if they were web views. And it's like, oh, no, they're using actual table views here. That's kind of interesting that more of that app is native than I would have expected. Honestly, that news feed, like not the carousel, but the feed, I would have expected that to be. Um, what was the question? <laughs> oh, if it tells you, it does. It tells you it tells you that it's user interactable and then it tells you how to interact with it is what happens if you have it set up properly. If you have it set up properly, it will tell you um, in our app, actually, in that app, if you tap on the page control, it will tell you that it's interactable and what to do with it. You know what I mean? Only bad part is you have to tap on the page control. Like I wish UI page control or UI page view controller. I wish UI page view controller was smarter about that. It knows how many pages there are, like the whole thing. It knows how many pages there are. It knows what the next and the last one is. You know what I mean? It knows all these things. It has to. It, I'm, I'm, it's frustrating that UI page view controller doesn't expose a better accessibility thing because you have to tap on the page control itself in order to get to this swipe up, swipe down thing. Yeah, and that's a pretty small tappable area. Yeah. And you can't scroll to it. So like one of the things in accessibility when you're using an app in VoiceOver – from my understanding, most people don't do this. Most people do do direct, like tap on a thing, listen to what it is, then double tap to confirm that that's what they wanted. But you can also single swipe left and right and just scroll through your view. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a nice way to just like flip through things, especially in a table view, you know what I mean, where you have recurring elements. You just swipe to the table view cell, hear how it reads the cell, then swipe through anything else that you may have in there. You can disable elements. You can enable elements. You can change the – oh, that was another thing we had to do. It was like we had that button that goes to user profile, the image, and that was being named really weird. So I had to change that one to just say user profile, and then it's a button. You know, and Then it's clear. You tap on that, you go to the user profile. But it's kind of a nice way to – I mean, it doesn't take long. Flip through 10, 15 minutes – you get a very, very good idea. You know, just kind of like go through your app, tap on things specifically, or just scroll through your whole thing just to see what what does it feel like navigating this app in VoiceOver. You also find out some weird stuff like that VoiceOver just flat out reads every notification that comes in. So like you're sitting there and you get a text message. It's actually kind of nice. Like you sit there and get a text message, all of a sudden it just reads the text message to you. I was like, that was sweet. <laughs> like, I kind of, I kind of just want that all the time. Like, you just sit there with the headphone in, and then you just like have all your text messages read to you, read to you as they come in, or emails and all that stuff. You know, <laughs> kind of awesome. <laughs> and that, that was it was surprising to me when that happened the first time. I was like, I just didn't expect it to like flat out read the text message. You know, I thought it would say like new message from, you know, Mark or whatever. I think it's worth going through like Apple's apps, you know, because they do a really good job. Like you heard, the mail app does a really good job of explaining its gestures. The camera goes as far as like reading out how many faces are in view and telling you other information about the frame that you don't think it should get. 
you know, and it, t- it only takes like 10, 15 minutes to kind of go through and fix everything up unless you have super complicated stuff. But even then, like, like we were saying, like even customizing stuff isn't that hard, especially if you're using interface builder type a few things and check boxes, click a couple buttons. It seems like this is so high value that even if it took me a week to make this app completely accessible, the payoff is huge, totally justified, huge, especially like different niches are going to have different kind of return on investment on this kind of a thing. You know what I mean? I think that our app being kind of more of a social based thing, it absolutely makes sense to make it accessible. You know what I mean? Because you have kids and parents and whoever else using this thing. And it's like, well, there you go. Yeah. This will help a lot. It's still shocking to me that the camera, I mean, I totally get it, but it's shocking to me that the camera is as well as, as they did as good of a job in accessibility on the camera as they did, you know, because you don't immediately think that that's going to be something that's used a lot. But on the flip side of that is that all of a sudden here's a camera that is very accessible. And, you know, if you're visually impaired now, all of a sudden you can use the camera maybe when you couldn't use it before. And that's kind of awesome, you know, kind of gives power to a whole different group of people. Yeah, I think we had, at first we're inclined to think that only people with 100% visual impairment are, will be right. using voiceover, but that's not the that's case. Not it at all. Like you could still have most of your vision and, you know, struggle with an application as is. Right. So, so the camera example makes sense. Right. Yep. Yeah, if I had two tips for accessibility, it would be add that triple home button tap. Just so, just more than anything, just so you can tap around other people's things, you know what I mean? How did they deal with accessibility in this case, you know? Maybe you think they did a good job, maybe you think they did a bad, but it could give you ideas. And then really kind of look into those those little C functions and that notification and customize the experience for voiceover access and customize it for accessibility, because I think that's really kind of interesting. You know what I mean? And maybe your app doesn't make sense. You start flipping through it and you're like, this app doesn't flow right. It doesn't make any sense when you're looking at it this way. Maybe you can fix that. Maybe you can customize the experience to a degree where all of a sudden the app goes from, you know, maybe it's usable, but it's not pleasant to use for under accessibility to all of a sudden it's, it's awesome. You know what I mean? You can really use it the right way just with voiceover. How's your experience been with it so far? Have you how much have you been doing with it? I haven't actually had to add anything to what you've done mm-hmm. yet. Well, you were running into that change. We changed the cell around, and so you wanted to add back in that information. Right. Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. But we had a label on the post cell that would tell you how many comments were on that post, and you would have to, you know, tap the cell, go to the detail view, and then you would see all the comments. Um, we removed that label in favor of a button with just a single count. So that's going to require, well, probably adding a custom like accessibility label to the cell itself that will sort of just summarize all the content in it and then leave the button for just uh, informing the user that when they tap this, they'll be able to comment. That's about it. Right. Theoretically, there's a different way to do that. And it's when I was messaging you about kind of being in this deep, dark, undocumented corner of... UI kit, where I was looking at UI kit, because a lot of this stuff, the biggest problem with a lot of the accessibility stuff is its documentation. There's parts of it that aren't documented very well, and it's not clear 
like you have these UI accessibility elements and UI accessibility containers and they act differently and there are methods exposed with UI accessibility container, for example, which is what a table view cell is. A table view cell isn't actually an accessibility element on, on its own. It's a container. Like I said before, the default implementation for the container is to stop at, start at the top left and read its way through the labels. And then when you start flipping through, you can flip through the cell, then it reads all the buttons, right? That's a great default, right? Because you it reads the content of the cell, then you flip through and it reads the actions available on that cell. Great. But in this case, we want to change some stuff, right? It would be really nice to list, instead of just reading that there's a button, it would be nice uh, to go to the comments or reading that there's a button to like the post. It would be nice if when it's reading out the cell the first time, you could say three likes, three comments, you know? And then when you flip over to the buttons, the buttons have a proper accessibility label of add comment uh, or like post. And so I was kind of looking into some of the stuff on UI accessibility container, and there's there's this array that you can return called UI ac uh, accessible elements. And if you return this array, that array is you, you're basically overriding that default behavior of read this and then this and then this and then this. So you can reorder stuff on the page, on the on the thing, but they still have to be on screen. I'm I'm unclear on exactly how this works because there's very little documentation around it. And I wasn't totally able to get it to work on this app on Friday or Thursday. But in theory, what it lets you do is like, for example, you're saying that, you know, maybe you want the timestamp read before anything else. You know what I mean? So you say like four minutes ago, this person said these things, you know, you can reorder the accessibility elements. So you do like timestamp label, first name label, last, you know, first or full name label, then the title and then the body and then it reads those things but i couldn't figure out any way to like inject stuff in there so that we could just have it read arbitrary stuff like it'd be really nice to create a label to have that lay them out the way we want to them to be read and then add basically a string like add a label to that just create a label and dump it in the array or it'd be i mean honestly what would be best is just a string just pass a string in that says you know, three posts, three comments, or five likes. And that would be best. And I couldn't figure out how to get that to work. And I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. And that that method itself is completely undocumented. It's barely even documented in the headers, which is unusual. You know, there's stuff that you'll run into that doesn't have public documentation, but you jump to the header and there's a nice big, you know, chunk of text there telling you exactly what it does. Even in the header, I was very unsure on what it was supposed to do. And how you're supposed to handle it and that kind of stuff. So if anyone knows about that, that'd be awesome to hear from people about just cause I'm genuinely interested in it, even though I'm off the project now. Yeah, totally. So please email us. Yeah. Build phase at thoughtbot.com. You want to wrap this up? Yeah, 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 we should show notes for this episode are going to be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash 55. Like I said, we want to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right, man. All right, later. See you.